Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all today. I would love to pray. Will you pray with me as we turn our attention to God's Word this morning? Heavenly Father, I just thank you and praise you for your Word because it is the truth. And I confess to you that I feel my own weakness right now. And Lord, we know and, and confess that no good will come right now in these moments apart from the work of your Holy Spirit, working through your Word in our hearts. And so that's what we pray for this morning. We pray, Lord God, that you would work today to build us up in the faith. And so we ask this and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, uh, next next April uh, will be the 110th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. So the, the ship sank on April uh, 14th, 1912, on its very first voyage. The Titanic was the largest passenger ship of its day. It was on its way from the United Kingdom to New York City, and on its way, I'm sure you know the story, it hit an iceberg in the North Atlantic, and within just a few hours, the ship sank. Now, three-quarters, three-fourths of the women on the ship survived. But only uh, a quarter, less than a quarter, less than 25% of the men survived. 75% of the men died. There's a a memorial in D.C. to these men that reads, To the brave men who perished in the wreck of the Titanic, they gave their lives that women and children might be saved. Now, I want to contrast that with the wreck of another ship whose anniversary was just about 10 years ago, January 13th, 2012, uh, the wreck of the Costa Concordia, which uh, wrecked off the coast of Italy. The men on that ship faced the same test of bravery and self-sacrifice as those on the Titanic, but in that case, Eyewitnesses like Edwin Gerd reported that the, quote, men on board pushed past terrified women and children to get to the lifeboats first. Ian Donoff, a 62-year-old newlywed on his honeymoon, after getting his uh, wife onto a lifeboat, said this, quote, the men were stressed and panicking. They were pushing in front of women who should have got on first. The men on the Titanic behaved very differently than the men on the coast of Concordia, and we immediately recognize the bravery of the one and the cowardice of the other. We see that the first is honorable and the second is despicable. In our own day, the notion of chivalry, the the notion that women should be shown special honor, deference, preferential treatment has been largely lost or suppressed. The notion that there's something special about women and that they deserve special respect and care is a ship that has been sunk beneath the last three waves of feminism, swept away by the rising tide of secularism and the waning of Christianity, especially among men. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. That's our text for today. 
in Peter's day, women's place in society and in marriage was vulnerable. It was the influence of the Christian faith that changed things. Texts like this one that call for the honoring of women. And this is one of the things that set the Christian faith apart and was a powerful testimony to the pagan world, one that we need to recover. Now, unlike the previous two sections on submission, the third one, this one, has a a word of instruction for those who are in authority. Now, we saw last week that the, the women get six verses and the men only get one. (laughs) Why is that? I think the reason for that is because the women were in a more difficult place and therefore in need of more guidance and more encouragement. And even though Peter speaks briefly to men, he speaks no less boldly to them. He says, follow along, 1 Peter 3, verse 7, Likewise, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's our text. The message for us this morning is, Husbands, wisely honor your wife. Love, serve, and lead your wife as God would have you do. Shepherd her like Christ. Men, your first and your most important ministry is to your family and to your wife above all. Now, last week was mainly for wives. This week is mainly for husbands. But young men, if you plan on getting married, this is who God calls you to be. This is what we aspire to as men. Ladies, this is the kind of man that you should be looking to marry. Moms and dads, this is who you should be raising your sons to be. The kind of man who honors women and above all, his wife. So we're going to see the foundation, the exhortation, and the motivation for husbands to wisely honor their wives. First, the foundation. Live with your wife according to knowledge. Live with your wife according to knowledge. We see this in verse 7a, the very first part of verse 7. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. It's literally according to knowledge. Living with a a wife is something that a husband must learn and know how to do. This is where the wisely part comes in. Live with your wives according to knowledge. Having knowledge is good, but if you don't live according to it, you're not living wisely. Okay, according to knowledge, what knowledge? I'm going to say two things primarily. Knowledge of two things above all. First, knowledge of God's will. How does God expect me to live in marriage as a husband? And second, knowledge of your wife. Who is this particular woman that God has given me to live with in marriage? I must know her uniquely. So there are two things you have to know very well, men, as a husband. You have to know the word and you have to know your wife. First, you must know the word. Men, you and I must live with our wives according to the knowledge of what God expects of us in marriage. Ephesians 5, 25 to 33 
is the gold standard, what we read just a moment ago. And it starts off like this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Overall, a husband's leadership is a self-sacrificing, benevolent, servant leadership that seeks his wife's good ahead of his own. We are called to love, serve, and lead our wives as Christ does the church. What that means is our leadership is not mainly a right or a privilege, but a weighty responsibility that God has given to us. So let me sketch just briefly what Christ-like spiritual leadership looks like from Ephesians 5. First, service. This is the driving attitude that underlies and pervades everything that we do as husbands. That's why it's listed first. So what's most helpful to your wife in the current season of life? Second, discipleship. Basic to this is reading the Bible together, praying together, but also regular encouragement from God's word. How are you helping your wife become more holy, more like Jesus? Second, or third, uh, provision. Self-sacrifice means putting her needs before your own. It means taking care of her. Yes, our provision is material, but it's more than that. It's also spiritual, which is why discipleship comes first. Fourth, protection. Part of leadership is protection, not just physically. The vast majority of the enemies that our wives face are emotional and spiritual. So speak the truth to her in love and go to war for her on your knees in prayer. Fifth, leadership vision. Christ's leadership has an ultimate purpose. He aims to present us to himself as holy. So men, what is the forward-thinking discipleship plan that you have for your family? Sixth, cherishing. A husband's leadership is driven by, by delight, not duty. So how can you cherish your wife? How can you make her feel loved and appreciated? Seventh, intimacy. The husband and wife are one flesh. This is an intimate relationship. So how can you maintain intimacy in your marriage? Physically, emotionally, spiritually. How can you maintain heart connection with her? Eight, reconciliation. Christ died to reconcile all things to himself. Husbands should ordinarily initiate the process of reconciliation and forgiveness in the marriage. When there's sin in the home, generally the husband should be the first one to lead out in repenting and saying, I am sorry, to take ownership and moving back toward his spouse after a conflict. Nine, example. Jesus gave us the example. We have to live by example for those that we lead. Men, our leadership is show and tell. So, what does God say in the Bible about how to be a husband and live with my wife? Where, where do I have room as a man to grow? Now, one of the most important things I can say, men, does your wife see you praying and studying the scriptures? Does your wife know because of the conversation that you have with her, as you share with her the things that God is teaching her, that you are in the Word. Because 
it is so much easier for her to follow you if you, if she knows you are following Jesus Christ. So, husbands, you got to know the word. You must know the word. You cannot lead without the word, but you also have to know your wife. You must know the wife that God has given to you. This is personal knowledge of her that enables you to love and care for her. Jesus knows his sheep by name, and he tailors his shepherding, his comfort, his encouragement, his guidance, his direction to each one of us personally. What that means is, men, if you're going to shepherd your wives, you have to know them and your kids if you're going to be able to shepherd them effectively. For example, what are her strengths and weaknesses? What are her desires and expectations? What are her fears and frustrations? What causes her to worry and what drives her crazy? What makes her feel loved and cared for? Do you know what sin she struggles with the most? What are her gifts? What is God teaching her? What's her aspirations for the family? Do you know your wife's greatest concerns right now for herself, for you, for the kids? If you don't know the answers to these questions, how can you shepherd her and address her current needs? All of these things inform how to properly live with your wife. Men, you are enrolled right now in a PhD program called marriage, and you're getting a doctorate in your wife. And like the medical profession, there is ongoing CE credits, continuing education credits, if you want to keep your knowledge up to date. Knowing your wife is an ongoing learning process, learning how to better love and serve and lead her specifically, her specifically. So how can you grow in the knowledge of your wife? Well, you need time to be with her. You need to know how she's doing so that you can minister to her. So date your wife. Take the lead in making plans to be able to spend time with her, to go on dates with her, to get away with her. And when you do get time alone with her, men, be there. Be present with her. Don't be distracted. It's too easy to be distracted by your phone, by your email, by the scores, and not really engage with your wife. Talk to her. Ask her questions. Like, how are you doing? How are we doing? What do I need to work on? How can I help you? How can I be praying for you? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And then listen to her. Don't interrupt. Nothing screams disrespect and I don't care about you louder than interrupting another person. Listen so that you can understand where she's at and what's going on in her world right now so that you can shepherd her, so that you know where she's struggling and where she needs encouragement, and then you encourage her with God's truth. You pray for her. I know that these are the basics. None of this is earth-shattering information. That's not the point. The question is, are you doing it?
Men, I want you to ask your wives these two questions regularly. These are the two questions. Now drill it all down. How are you doing? How are you doing? And how can I pray for you? Regularly ask these questions of your wife. Now, if you've been married for a while, do not think that you can skip the know your wife part because you think you know her well enough already. Study the word, study your wife. Be a lifelong learner in these two areas. These two great subjects inform how to properly live with your wife. Now, of course, this takes regular, intentional, unhurried time in God's word, and it takes regular, intentional, unhurried time with your wife. So what does that mean? It means devotions and date nights. It means time with the word and time with your wife. A husband who lives according to the knowledge of God's will and according to knowledge of his wife will have a great marriage. A great marriage. He will bless her. He will bless himself. He will bless his marriage. So learn to live wisely with your wife according to knowledge. That's the foundation. Now the exhortation. Honor your wife as the weaker vessel. We see this in 7b, the second part of verse 7. Husbands, live with your wives according to knowledge, showing honor, there it is, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Honor is the core of Peter's instruction to husbands here. And Peter uses a generic word here for, for female, for woman. He doesn't use the word wife in this part of the verse. He's pointing out something about womanhood in general, something uniquely feminine that God wants husbands to know, namely that women are the weaker vessel. Well, what does that mean that they are the weaker vessel? There's nothing negative about being called a vessel. If women are the weaker vessel, then that implies that men are vessels too, okay? We're both vessels. But what does it mean that women are the weaker vessel. Women are not weaker intellectually, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, or morally. He's already dispensed with all of that in the previous six verses, the ones that we saw last week. Consider the moral courage and the spiritual strength and the great deeds of faith that Peter has just called Christian women to. So he's not speaking about uh, a weak faith or a weak mind or weak morals. So how are they weaker? Women are physically weaker. In general, women are physically weaker than men. Now, of course, it isn't true in every case, but the average male is physically stronger than the average female. Now, Peter doesn't say this to denigrate women, but to encourage men to honor them. That is the point. The biblical principle is that, that we honor and protect those who are vulnerable. Women, children, orphans, widows, the poor. That's the principle. God does not want those in authority to abuse those uh, under their authority. They don't want to abuse them to abuse their position of power. So that means that husbands, on the one hand, are forbidden from abusing their wives, 
And on the other hand, positively, it means that husbands are called and responsible for protecting their wives. I want to adapt an illustration from John Piper that I found helpful. Let's say for a minute that your wife is a black belt in karate. And you, you have never fought anyone before in your whole life. You have zero training. Um, now suppose you're, you're, you're out on a date and, and you're walking back to your car. And on the way back to the car, a guy jumps out with a knife. You don't say, okay, honey. <laughs> it doesn't matter what kind of training she has. You step out first, you get her behind you, and you say to that guy, you're going to have to go through me to get to her. Over my dead body are you going to touch her. That's a man talking. It doesn't have anything to do with competencies. Husbands have the responsibility to protect their wives. So, so let's say you, you, you fight. You, 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 you fight this guy and he cuts you and he, you get knocked down on the ground and then your wife steps up and disarms him and lays him out. <laughs> That's okay. Because it's not about competencies. It's about the calling that men have to protect women and especially their wives. Even if she's more competent in that area, his mindset is, I protect this woman. I don't expect her to protect me. So, suppose someone breaks into their, their house. The husband doesn't say, okay, babe, we're 50-50 in this thing, so I guess it's your turn to go down and... and and see what's going on. Men don't ask women to fight our battles for us. Men protect women, and women want protection. It's hardwired into us. That is why when we hear the story of men shoving aside women and children to save themselves on the ship, we are repulsed by that. We immediately recognize that that is wrong. That is cowardly. That is truly despicable behavior. We know it immediately because this is hardwired into us. You might remember several years ago, uh, there, there was a shooting at a movie theater in Aurora, Colorado. Twelve people died in that shooting, three of whom were young men in their 20s who were on dates with their girlfriends. When the shooting started, these men laid on top of their girlfriends and sacrificed themselves to save them. That's being a man. That is honoring women. Peter looks at the nature of womanhood and he teaches that there being the weaker vessel should call forth honor from men. It's like a Ming vase worth a million dollars. It is fragile, but it's so valuable and worth special care and protection. Now, a husband who lives according to this knowledge is going to do what God demands. He is going to honor his wife. And by extension, men honor all women, though not in exactly the same way that they do their wives. So how do men honor their wives? What does that look like? Well, it includes a lot of things. Honor includes protecting our wives 
physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So let me try to paint a picture. Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So honor means you being gentle. Gentle in how you treat her, in how you talk to her, in how you touch her. Honoring your wife with your words means being gentle and gracious and not harsh, not easily angered. It means being encouraging and affirming, not demeaning or overly critical. Your word choice, your tone of voice, your body language should all be communicating. I'm honoring you. Honor includes kind and affirming words, not only in private, but also in public. There's no place for Christian husbands to be harsh or domineering with their wives. Honor your wife with your actions. You never hit, push, shove, grab, or otherwise threaten your wife physically, ever. You don't abuse your wife verbally or physically. You don't threaten her in any way. You don't give her any reason to fear. You alleviate her fears, showing her that you are guarding her and your marriage, that you're committed and faithful, showing her that you're going to provide for her and protect her and take care of her. Honor includes seeking her input on decisions, especially in how you spend your time and your money. It means serving her. If she goes to the grocery store, it means you carry in the groceries for her when she gets home. When you're out on walking, you make sure she's on the inside and you're the one closest to the road. It means you open doors and you pull out chairs and a dozen other things. We could go on with examples. The point is this. In all of your words and in all of your actions, they should communicate that you honor her, that you cherish her, that you're going to use your strength to protect and provide and care for her, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually as well. Men, we need to train our boys to treat women with respect, to treat them like ladies in tangible ways. That starts with, with, with how we train them to treat their moms and their sisters, but it's also in our example of how we are treating our wives. God's command for husbands to lead their wives with honor and tender care, that's not optional. Husbands cannot opt out of family leadership and become passive, nor can we become harsh, selfish, or domineering. We can't escape this God-given responsibility to honor our wives with our leadership. So we've seen the foundation, live with your wife according to knowledge, knowledge of God's word and your wife. We've seen the exhortation, honor your wife. Now we get to see the motivation. Why? Why, why should you honor your wife? Why you should honor your wife? We see this in 7c, the last part of verse 7. And there are two reasons there. First, husbands should honor their wives since they are co-heirs of the grace of life. She is an heir with you of eternal life. She has the same imperishable inheritance that you have. Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Even though husbands have been given greater authority within marriage and therefore greater and stricter accountability before God as the leader, wives are equal in spiritual status, blessings, and importance. Even though the roles are different, they are equal in dignity, value, worth, significance, status, all of that. What's the point? The point is, she is a daughter of the king of kings. 
She is a princess of the kingdom of heaven. Like you, she has been bought with Christ's precious blood, chapter 1, verse 19. She is precious to God because he obtained her with his own blood, Acts 20, 28. And therefore, she is of eternal value to God. She is his treasured possession, chapter 2, verse 9. She belongs to God and not to you. She is a gift on loan from God. Therefore, take care, men. Take care. Because God has entrusted to you a priceless treasure to your tender care. His beloved daughter, an heir of his kingdom. That should move you to make special effort to take pains to love, serve, lead, honor, cherish your wife as God would have you do. Like Adam, men, we are going to be called to account for how we stewarded this leadership responsibility that God has given to us, how we treated our wives. Did we live with them according to knowledge in an understanding way? Did we show them honor as the weaker vessel? Now imagine the owner, again, of that Ming vase worth a million dollars. He's entrusted it to you to take care of it. It belongs to them, and they're going to want it back And it better not have a scratch on it. You are going to be so careful to take care of that vase, to protect it. Our wives are like that priceless and precious vase. They're not cheap Tupperware that you can handle roughly. God wants us to show them honor because they're precious to Him, they're His. There is blood-bought treasure, a beloved daughter of the king. Second, husbands should honor their wives so that your prayers may not be hindered. Understand this, men. God is so concerned about the way Christian husbands treat their wives that he will interrupt his relationship with a man who mistreats his wife. Showing honor to wives is so serious that men who don't do it will have their prayers hindered. Peter mentions prayer three times in this short letter, and there's a common theme. The first time he mentions it is right here. Husbands, honor your wives so that your prayers might not be hindered. Then in the next section that we see next week, he's going to call Christians to love one another. And he quotes the Psalms and he says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 1 Peter 3.12 Then he says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. 1 Peter 4.7 What's the common theme? Peter is teaching that living right helps your prayers. Of course, the opposite is also true. Praying helps you to live right. We pray, God, help me to live the way that you want me to live. That's all over the Bible. But that's not what Peter's saying here. What Peter is saying is living right helps your prayers. That's what he wants us to see. Like James says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, that principle applies to all Christians. Here in our text, Peter is teaching men to live in such a way with their wives that their prayers will not be hindered but helped. Sin hinders prayer. 
the Bible makes it clear that, that relational strife with one another as, as Christians hinders our relationship with God, and that includes our prayers. If that's true of Christians in general, then how much more true is it of our relationship with our wives, our most important human relationship? What that means is our relationship with our spouse has to be the one that we are most carefully cultivating, cherishing, and maintaining if we want to have a close relationship with God. So men, maybe you found that your prayers seem ineffective and like they're not getting through. Perhaps it's because of the way that you're treating your wife. And it's hard to do anything spiritual at all when there's strife in the home, whether it's individually, spiritually, or as a couple, spiritually. Anybody who's been married for more than a month knows that this is true. I'd say probably less than a month. I've experienced this in our own marriage. I've had an argument with Sarah, I've been harsh with her, and then I've gone to try to have my devotions. <laughs> yeah, that's impossible. That's not going to work. The only thing God tells me is, go be right with Sarah. Go get right with Sarah. I cannot be right with God when I'm wrong with her. I can't be wrong with Sarah and be right with God at the same time. Men, understand, God has tied our relationship with our wives to our relationship with Him. And I think the same can be said of wives. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to pray with your wife when you've been arguing with them? It's like impossible. It's so hard. Yet praying together is part of the path back to right relationship with them and with God. So when there's strife, you have to pray with them. Just pray, even if it's just, Lord, we need your help right now. We need your help. You seek forgiveness and reconciliation. It is amazing how God will respond by softening your hearts toward one another, restoring heart connection, restoring your relationship with the Lord. Prayer is not this little, little butler's bell. Ring, 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 ring. Lord, could you please get me another piece of pie? <laughs> that is not prayer. Prayer is like a hotline that you call when you need help. In your weakness, you call because you need help. We find strength on our knees in prayer. Prayer is like a, a wartime walkie-talkie where we call in support when there are enemies we are facing that are too strong for us to overcome on our own. We do battle on our knees. God is not going to answer the prayers of husbands who ignore the command to honor their wives and live with them according to knowledge. One commentator puts it this way, God does not bless with his favor those who are in positions of authority and abuse those who are under them by mistreating them. This should be a check on the strife and contention in our marriage relationships. This should put a check on it for us. We should not want to do this. This should check us before we go on 
As Calvin says, he puts it this way, commenting on this verse, For we are more than insane if we knowingly and willfully close up the way to God's presence by prayer. Let me say that again. This should, Calvin is teaching, we, this should put a check on our strife in our home. Because you're more than insane if you knowingly and willfully close up the way to God's presence in prayer. No Christian man can think that any spiritual good is going to come in his life without prayer. Amen, somebody. No spiritual good is going to come in your life apart from prayer, or in anything apart from prayer. And Christian husbands cannot think that they're going to have an effective prayer life if they're mistreating their wives. Their prayers will be hindered. That is a devastating place to be as a Christian husband. You have been cut off from your source of strength and power. But I want to point out something here that is so encouraging. There's an implicit reward here. There is an encouragement here in this warning. The encouragement is if you do live with your wife as God calls you to, not perfectly, that's not a thing. Amen? You're going to make mistakes. You're going to repent. You're going to turn. You're going to strive to live the way God wants you to. You're not going to live perfectly. But if your heart, if your passion, if your pursuit is to live this way, right? Not perfectly. That's not a thing. Then God will, your prayers will be helped, not hindered. That's the encouragement here. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. That's the encouragement. Now, I want to give some hope here at the end for struggling marriages. There's hope in this verse. Michael, where's the hope? Where's the hope in this verse? Here's the hope. Husbands and wives, you are both co-heirs of the grace of life. Co-heirs of the grace of life. The, the, the grace that saves you, but also the grace that sustains and strengthens and sanctifies you. So the Bible says the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. We always talk about God's saving grace. There it is. But look at what else God's grace does. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. That same grace, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Titus 2. For husbands and wives, the hope is this. You both possess the grace of life, the same grace that saves, the grace that sanctifies and strengthens and sustains in everything that God has asked you to do. You both possess that grace right now. So, so when you're in your marriage and you're thinking to yourself as a husband or as a wife, I cannot do this. I am totally inadequate for this. I am totally insufficient for this that God has called me to. Let me tell you, you're right. You are totally inadequate and totally insufficient for what God has called you to. But... But God, but God gives you his grace. 
but God makes you sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God, promise after promise after promise in the Bible, tells us God's grace is with you. That's the encouragement. You both have it. You both have it. God has given you the grace to do everything that he calls you to in your marriage. Everything. That's hope. That's hope. He's with you. He's at work. And by grace, he's going to help you in, in whatever situation to supply whatever it is you need. All right, so the foundation, live with your wife according to knowledge, knowledge of the word and your wife, the exhortation, honor your wife, the motivation, they are co-heirs and for the sake of your prayers. Man, your most important ministry is at home and that, above all, is first to your wife. Taking time to develop and maintain a good marriage, that is God's will that is ministry, that is pleasing to God, that honors Him, and the time that you invest in your marriage is never wasted. It's never wasted. It will be good. It will bring good for you, for her, for your marriage, and it brings glory to God, and it pleases God. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, we thank you and praise you. I just want to pray simply that you would anchor us in this hope of grace. God, I know I know you have called us to what is beyond us. And Lord, we all want to be faithful to that calling you have placed upon us as husbands and as wives. And Lord, we just ask and pray very simply today that you would make your grace abound to us so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, we may abound in every good work as husbands and as wives. Lord, help anchor us in that hope. Anchor us in that hope today. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>